Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and then jumping to verses 28 and 29. It says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Jump over to verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, if you remember, we ended our study last time by looking at how the Jews received more revelation from God and about the gospel than the Gentiles did. But with that privilege came more accountability. Write this down, look at it later on, Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And it talks about those to whom much has been given, much more will be required. And so we've been looking at to the Jew first and also to the Greek is been dealing with how much more that they have received. Now, does God like the Jews more than the Gentiles? No. Can the Gentiles be saved? Just as much as the Jews. And that's why the Bible says here in Romans 6, 11, that God shows no partiality. We've already dealt with all that. But in the middle of our study passage for the last time we were together, we came across the verses that I just read to you in verses 6 through 11 that seem to make it appear that salvation will be determined by our works or our outward actions. Look again at verses 6 through 11. It reads like you can earn your salvation. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. But now hopefully you know that these verses can't be teaching that you get saved by what you do. Because that would go against the whole of Scripture. And especially the book of Romans itself. But let me take you real quick with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. We know it pretty well, but I want you to look at it again. Paul says... In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right? So we're saved by faith in Christ Jesus, not by anything we do. That way nobody can say, well, I did this and I did that. And if you remember, Jesus himself said, many on that day of judgment will say, wait a minute, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? Didn't we preach in your name and in your name cast out demons? And Jesus will say to them what? Depart from me, I what? Never knew you. There was no relationship. You were doing all this stuff, but that doesn't mean you're saved because you did it. But look also, go back with me to Romans and look at chapter 4 and listen to verses 1 through 12. You'll see very clearly Paul could not have been teaching that we're saved by what we do. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Look at what, what Paul says here. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credit, credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, 
his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before, before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So hopefully you understand that the Bible's very clear that we're not saved by anything we do. So what was Paul saying then in verses 6 through 11, where it says that judgment is going to come for everyone according to what they do, according to their works? Well, here's what I want you to stick with me on here now. What Paul is saying in these verses is the same thing that the whole of Scripture has been saying all along, that God's judgment is tied to our actions. God's judgment is tied to our actions. Now, he doesn't determine whether we get into heaven or not by our action. He determines whether or not we get into heaven or not by whether or not we put our faith in Jesus Christ. As we looked last time we were together, that the Holy Spirit will come and judge them or convict them when it comes to judgment because they don't believe in who? In Jesus. That's the sin that sends people to hell. But actions are what God is going to judge. And you'll see in just a little bit why. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Old Testament now for a little bit. And we're going to let the Old Testament talk to us about this. I actually had the privilege this morning of spending some time with guys I like to preach to once in a while when I'm in town at the Men in Motion uh, men's meeting at Central Baptist. And we look today at the fact that, the, that very few people really spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Very few people really know the Old Testament. And when the Bible throughout the Old Testament and the New talks about, I love your word, I love your law, when a lot of those things were written, all they had was the Old Testament. Yet most people today are oblivious to what's really been there. We think that God is just mainly using the New Testament now. Folks, the whole of Scripture is the Word of God. Jesus himself, on the day that he rose from the dead, told those, on that same Sunday that he rose from the dead, told his disciples, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So if we want to be faithful, we need to know the Old Testament. So go to Isaiah chapter 3. We're going to take a look at a bunch of passages in the Old Testament and some in the New. And we're going to take a look at the fact that all along, the whole of Scripture has been saying that God's judgment is tied to our actions. Isaiah 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. So here again, the judgment is going to be tied to your actions. Judgment is tied to your actions. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, look at verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give, to, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, here, Jeremiah has given us a little bit more information and a little more information than we need for where we're going. But again, as it's dealing with the fact that God's going to be holding everybody accountable for their actions, because judgment is tied to our actions, we see a little bit more now why. As you're going to see, it's because our actions are going to be tied to our hearts, where the real issue is. Go to John chapter 5, though. John chapter 5, Jesus himself is speaking in verses 24 through 29. John chapter 5, verses 24 through 29. Listen to what he says here. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is, is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Again, some of you say, Jim, this is sounding more and more like God's going to determine whether I'm right or wrong by how I act. Stick with me. Allow the Holy Scripture to speak to this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. First Corinthians chapter three, verse eight. It says, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. I don't know if you know this or not, but as much as we who are in Christ will not be judged for our sins because of our faith in Jesus Christ, those sins have been taken care of. There is a judgment coming for those of us who are in Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's the Bema seat where we will be judged for what we've done after salvation, whether good or bad. God's not going to determine whether you get into heaven or not, but he will be determining your level of reward for eternity. And for those of us who have allowed Christ to do through us what he wanted, and, and we've allowed him through his spirit to do these good works, which, by the way, if we were to go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, which is the gift of God, not of yourselves, not of works so no one can boast. The very next verse, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He planned in advance for us to do. There is a judgment coming, folks, and it's tied to our actions. There's a judgment coming for those who have not trusted Christ, who do not believe in Him. They'll be judged for all the things they've ever done. And by the way, the Bible says, God's keeping track of every idle word. And on top of that, they've added the worst sin by rejecting the Son of God who paid for their sins already. But for those of us who have been saved, we will be gone. we've already been guaranteed eternity with God. We've been saved, we've been declared righteous, but there's still a judgment coming. There's a daily judgment of the Holy Spirit as He convicts us and so on. There's a judgment that's coming. And folks, our actions do matter. They do matter. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, 
whether good or evil. Some better translation of that word evil could be worthless. So again, believers are going to experience the judgment seat of Christ because we're going to experience, uh, we'll receive what was due for what we have done in the body, whether it was rewarded or not rewarded. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, look at verse 2. Romans 14, look at verse 2. Sorry, 12. I, I looked at my notes. I'm like, that's not a 2. That's a 12. Romans 14, verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, I'm going to give you one more that's not in my notes. Go to Revelation chapter 20. And we'll start in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Don't miss this. There is a judgment that is coming for the lost who have not trusted Christ. And everything they've ever done that broke God's law and was against God's law. And by the way, if you're like me, thank God for Jesus' forgiveness because my list would be too long to recount. Everything they've ever done has been recorded in a book. Actually, it said books. And they'll be judged for eternity for everything that they have done. And not only do they go to hell and cast into the lake of fire, they checked one other book. And that was the book of life. Because they had not had their name there because they had not put their faith in Jesus Christ who had already paid for their sins. That was added to their sentence and they go to the lake of fire. Now, for those of us, who are in Christ, thank God we will not be judged whether or not we get into heaven because of what we've done. We've been forgiven of all our sins. Now, though, once you're saved and once you are sealed by the Spirit of God, God now wants to accomplish through you some things for His purpose and His glory. That's the reason why we're still here. If He just wanted to save you and that was all, we'd get saved, you'd probably walk an aisle and boop, you'd go to heaven. That's not it. He leaves us here for a reason. And each of us have different roles and different responsibilities and different levels of responsibility. We shouldn't be trying to make everybody do as much as we're doing. Everybody needs to do what they're supposed to be doing. Seed falls on the good soil and some produce 100, some produce 60, some 30. Jesus says that in the parable of the talents, he gave one five, another two, another one, each according to their ability. So don't worry about everybody else. But the question is, are you ready for the judgment that is coming that God's going to hold everyone accountable to? And for those who are in Christ, our actions will be used to judge us for us who are in Christ, whether or not we receive reward. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go for it. That's where we're going right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're linked right now. How about that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start in verse... Uh, 
where we read earlier, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, the role I was given, Paul said, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, see that capital D in your Bibles? The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ for those of us who are in Christ. God's now wanting to reward us for the things he wanted to accomplish through us. It's all going to be tested one day. And if what you've done survives the test, you'll be rewarded. If not, you're going to miss out. You'll still be saved because that's a gift. You don't earn that. Remember how we read earlier when someone's wages, that's, you know, they've earned that. When you got your paycheck from your boss, you earned that paycheck. That was your wages. The boss didn't give you your paycheck as a gift. You worked for it. But our salvation, we don't work for. Our salvation is a gift. That has already been given to us. But now there's reward for us. And that will be tied to how well we have been obedient to the things God expects of us in our actions. Go back now to Romans 2, and we're going to reread verses 6 through 11, and I want you to see what may jump off the page at you. He'll render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, because God doesn't show any partiality. Now, look closely at what it says. It's been here. We just missed it. Verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing do what? Seek for glory and honor and immortality. Hang on for a second. If you're seeking for something, do you think you already have it? No, you'd never seek for something you already... I'm not looking for a wife. I got one. And I'm very happy, by the way. So I'm not seeking a wife. If you think you're okay with God, you're not going to seek for help. But the Bible talks about seeking for more of Him, hungering for a deeper relationship. For those who seek glory, honor, immortality... You will be saying, I need it, I need it, and you'll be searching for it. Not only to be saved, but then also to grow in your walk with the Lord. But the other group, the ones who are going to be judged and to go to hell, they're what kind of seeking? Look at what it says. Self-seeking. They're looking to themselves to take care of their issue. Are you looking to God for your reward? Are you looking to God through faith in Jesus Christ and then daily after that for him to do what he wants to do through you? Or are you seeking to do it yourself? And many Christians are going to miss out on reward, even though they're going to heaven, because they've been working hard for Jesus. I've slaved all these years, and you never even gave me a goat. Remember the older brother? They were trying to get the reward. No, 
It's got to be done through him. Again, the issue is the heart. Go with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 42 through 43, or 43 through 49, sorry. Luke 6, 43 through 49. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. So what is the root of our actions? Our heart. And by the way, who's the only one that really knows our hearts? Jesus and the Holy Spirit and us. Yes, the Holy Spirit and Lord, God himself and us. That's why we have to be real careful. We don't judge people's motives. Well, the only reason she's doing that is because you don't know. You don't know. Go ahead. I think there are periods where we don't, but I think it is possible for us to know our hearts, and that's where we're going to go next. Sheila, have you been reading my notes? Because there you go. Well, that, that's my notes. The Bible says there should be a clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, does it not? There should be a clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. Let me show you a couple of passages that deal with that, and then, then we'll get to what you just said. Go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now, I want the Spirit of God to finish His work of speaking to our hearts before I go a whole lot further in this, because I don't want to let you off the operating table too soon. Malachi, don't get off the operating table until God's done the surgery. Go to Malachi 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't miss this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you have probably been listening to this going, um, I've trusted Jesus. I, 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 I'm going to heaven because of him. But I do some of this stuff that is evidence of wickedness. Does anybody here, by the way, only do good things, no bad things? Exactly. None of us. But listen closely. And that's one of the things I love about the word of God. Have you ever noticed that the word of God doesn't hide the men and women of God's warts? You ever notice David, the man after God's own heart, the sins he committed were pretty, not just bad. He did a lot of them. But what made him different from Saul? David 
repented. When David did sin, he acknowledged it. He confessed his sin and he kept his heart pure before God. This goes back to what you were talking about, Sheila. There are times when we are oblivious to our hearts and our motives. I would agree. But for those of us who are in Christ and have Christ within us who knows our hearts, his desire is to show us our hearts. And when he shows us our hearts, if we acknowledge you're right, those are the people that know him. Those are the people that are sensitive to the spirit. They haven't hardened their hearts. And that's why the Bible says we need to continually allow the spirit of God to show us our hearts. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this in just a second in a way to warn you, don't step over this, lit, this line, which too many people do. But let me just show you a couple of scriptures that talk about this. Go to Psalm 139. We, we focus on getting our actions fixed. I need to stop doing that, or I need to start doing a better job of this. You've already started off wrong, because you've got to allow the heart to be fixed. The heart changes what happens, and then the actions will follow. Psalm 139, listen to what he says in verses uh, 23 and 24. David, search me. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, David has just said in this psalm, they're in a place I go that you're not there. They're in a thing I do you don't even know. And, and, and not only that, before a word's even on my tongue, you know my thought before it even goes out of my mouth. And he says, show me. Show me my heart. Show me the right way that I'm supposed to be. Go to Psalm 51. Look at what David wrote here. David has just committed his sin with Bathsheba. And interestingly enough, if you know the story behind it, Nathan the prophet comes, and by this point, the child is about a year old that he and Bathsheba have, have made. And Nathan the prophet comes and tells David a story where David is actually the person in the story, but he just words it in such a way that David is oblivious to the fact that he's the man. David hears the story and he gets so mad that the man that did that should die. And Nathan says, you're the man. By the way, I like golf. I don't know why people do it. But for years, whenever someone's hit a big drive, someone yells out. You probably hear it on TV. You're the man. And I've always thought they have no idea where that first was said. It was the prophet Nathan to David. You're the man. You sinned. But what was David's response? Now, he was oblivious at the point. He's hearing the story. He doesn't even realize that it's him. But God opens his eyes to his sin and his heart. And David wrote this, Psalm 51. You see in your heading to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Don't miss this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open, all, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David says, I've sinned and I'm not going to make it right. I need you to wash me clean. Would you teach me my true heart in the innermost parts? Would you wash me with clean? Wash make me clean and make me pure. Now, now David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We don't have to worry about that because in the new covenant, he comes and he stays with us forever. He'll never leave nor forsake. But in the Old Testament, he'd remove his spirit from people who walked in disobedience. David says, don't take your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And once you've cleansed me, my automatic response is going to be, I want to tell people about you. I want to do the good works that you've created me to do. I don't even, uh, you don't want me to go do a sacrifice. If you wanted that, I'd, go, I'd do it. But what you're looking for is what? A, a broken heart, a sensitive heart. Folks, that's what God wants to talk to us about. He wants to get to our hearts. The real reason behind what we do is a heart issue. Now, even though we're saved, we still have to allow God on a daily basis to take control of our lives. Now, here's where I'm going to warn you. Don't step over this line and you'll mess yourself up. Too many people then say, well, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to examine myself to see how I'm doing. Don't go there. That's a trap of the enemy. It sounds spiritual. And actually, if you notice, David said in Psalm 139, you show me, God. Search me. You show me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul even deals with it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There's a judgment coming for everyone. For those who are outside of Christ, Jew or Gentile, if they've never put their faith in Christ, they will be judged for all of their works and then go to hell with the added sin of rejecting God's payment for their sin through Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to heaven. It has been given already. It's a gift. But God has left us here for a reason. And there should be a clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. If you're like me and like every other person, you still wrestle with this flesh. We'll get to that when we get to Romans 7, where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. I think we understand that wrestling match. But one day, God is going to either reward us for everything that's been done that's good, the wood, sorry, the gold, silver, precious stone, 
or we're going to have what we've done the wrong way, the wood, hay, the stubble, burned up and we'll receive no reward. What's the difference? Listen closely. The difference is, did you allow God to do it through you and you didn't care if anybody noticed? Or did you do it so people would notice? Did you do it in hopes that it would get you points with God? Those attitudes of your heart, even though the actions may appear good, you'll never be rewarded for. And for years, we've honored the person in the church who was faithful, committed, never missed a Sunday. Oh, they were cantankerous and surly and probably someone you didn't even want to be around, but they never missed a week. They'll not be rewarded. But they were faithful, but they didn't do it by faith. And God knows our hearts. That's why when David went to the battle, because he was sent by his father to go bring cheese and stuff for those brothers, and he hears Goliath, and he says, what's going on? And they said, oh, you've just come. They, they jump on him. You've just come to see the battle and see what the big boys are doing. They judged his heart. They didn't know. Actually, David had a better heart than they did because David was looking to God, and God used that little boy that they thought was there for the wrong reasons. Don't judge people's attitudes. You now don't even spend time examining your own navel. Lord, if there's something that you want me to see, show me. Until then, I'm just going to keep walking with you. Too many people spend too much time examining themselves. You're not good at it. Don't do it. He is, and he knows, and he also knows when and how to show it to us. Again, are you seeking glory, honor, and immortality that only come from him, a reward that only comes from him, or are you self-seeking? By the way, Galatians chapter 5, go to Galatians 5, shows us the difference between righteousness and wickedness, the difference between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, Paul says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Too many of us spend our time trying to not gratify the desires of the flesh. No, just walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, we've been born again, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and then envying one another. By the way, as I've read that over the years, I've been pastor, as you know, in different churches around the country for many years. And as I look at the evidence of the flesh and the evidence of the Spirit, I a lot of times think to church business meeting and think, which list do I see in church business meeting? But you know what? I got to be careful. I don't want to become that judge myself of my brother and my sister. But I'm going to say this. 
If your attitude is the right one, you would say, Lord, I want to see evidence of your spirit. I want you to produce this love and this joy and this peace. Not, I need to be more patient. I need to be more loving. No, it's the evidence of the spirit. So go with me real quick to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now look at verse 16 and following. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Did you catch that? May God, may Jesus, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. How do you seek eternal life, immortality, honor? You say, Lord, do these things through me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 puts it this way. In the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. In other words, how did you receive Jesus by his Lord? You heard what God said. You believed it was true. You asked him to do it. You walked out of that encounter believing that he had, right? You've said the only way I can be made right with you is through faith alone in what Jesus has done through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead. I can't save myself. You said you'd give it to me as a gift. I believe it. Lord Jesus, here is my life. Here is my heart. Wash me clean. I believe that I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In the same way as you received him as Lord, now walk in him. What does he want to produce through you? Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. Don't say, I need to be these things more. I'm going to do them. Lord, you said this is evidence of you taking control, and I give you control. By the way, that's a prayer you're going to have to pray daily, throughout the day. That's why Paul said, walk in the Spirit. Let him, they're going to be, you're going to do real good, and then someone's going to cut you off. And you're going to have to say again, Lord, by your grace. And in time, you will start to notice the Spirit of God doing the work, and you'll go, I'm not even getting as upset as I used to. My attitude toward that has changed. Things I used to love, I don't love anymore. And I didn't even have to work at it. That's what he does for us. Now, again, does that mean we can get to a point where we never sin anymore? We don't even struggle with sin? Don't get fooled by that. I used to think when I was younger that the more I walked with Jesus, the closer I'd get to the point that sin in this world would fall away and I would have no interest in the things of the world and I would get so close to Jesus, I wouldn't even be tempted with the world stuff anymore. And then it hit me one day when I was reading in the book of Matthew how Jesus was praying in the garden right before the cross, and he was tempted. Father, if there's any way you can take this away, I'm for it. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And it hit me. If Jesus, who was God himself in human form, was tempted right up to the moment of the cross, I'm going to be tempted until I die. And God's left it that way so that I would continually look to him. Go to 1 John chapter 5. We'll wrap up this section with that and then we'll jump over to Romans chapter 3. Go to 1 John chapter 5. This is for believers. Romans chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Sorry, chap chapter 1 verses 5 through chapter 2 verse 6. Romans chapter, what, what am I saying Romans? I've got confused. You're right. 1 John, sorry, my brain started looking at Romans in my head again. 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John 1, 
starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but, only all, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Are you saved by your actions? No. Will your actions be judged? Yes. The lost will be judged for everything they've ever done and rejecting Jesus as they go to hell. For those of us who are in Christ, on our way to heaven, there's a judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged according to what we've done in the body after salvation, whether he did it and our motives were pure and he was rewarding us or whether we lose the reward. We'll still be saved. We just smell a little bit like smoke. All right. Go to Romans chapter 3. This is actually going to be very interesting because Paul now knows that what he's just said in chapter 2 is going to make some Jews angry. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Paul goes on and says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true and everyone, and everyone a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now there's a lot here, and I'm sure as you read that you're like, okay, I don't understand half of what he said, if not all of it. And that's okay. That's what my role is. Hopefully I'll be used by the Lord in the time we have today and then next week to kind of break this down for you. Paul knew that what he just said in the last chapter would make the Jews upset. He's just said, look at verse 28 at the end of this chapter 2, verse 28, where we left off this just now. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter or the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. So he had just said that one was not automatically saved because they were a Jew. 
But the Jews knew that God's word was full of promises to them as a nation. They assumed if God promised their nation eternal status and righteousness in the coming kingdom, then they were included if they were a Jew. And by the way, the Bible is very clear. Doesn't God promise the nation of Israel and the people of Israel eternal status? They'll always be a people before him. And they'll be heading the kingdom up when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. So God's promised the Jews that they'll be eternally secure and they're going to have the status in the kingdom. So they just assumed if I'm a Jew, I'm in. But he's not only said that it isn't just for the Jews. He's, the Gentiles are included. And there might be some Jews who are left out. And some of the Jews are now going, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've never heard anything like this. All along, we've been taught that we're special, we're his chosen, and we're guaranteed. Now you're telling us that the Gentiles will get to be a part of it. We're going to have a little problem with that. But you've also said that Gentiles will go in and some Jews won't. I'm not guaranteed because I'm a Jew. What's the advantage then of being a Jew? What's the advantage of being a Jew? And that was the first question that he deals with. There's actually a few we're going to deal with. His answer is what? Much in every way. They had been given the oracles of God. They had been given God's written word. Remember, they've received more light. You had a greater advantage, more opportunity, because God revealed it to you. Go to Romans again, chapter, chapter 9. Look at verses 1 through 5. Again, Paul lays this out for us. As he talks about how he wished the whole nation would be saved, and if he could go to hell to save the whole nation, he'd do it. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. We're not going to take the time to break down all of those things that he just listed, but would we not agree that they had been given a lot? The covenants, the glory, the promises, the, 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 the God's presence with them. So there was an advantage to being a Jew. But what they had missed was that God's word, the oracles of God that they had been blessed with, God's word showed and implied that regardless of their heritage, all people, Jews included, must come to God in repentance and faith. I'm going to say this to you again, and I'm going to show you these passages from, our, from God's Word. And again, we're only going to use the Old Testament because that's all that the Jews had at that time. God's Word, the Old Testament, had showed and implied that regardless of their heritage, all people, Jews included, must come to God in repentance and faith. Now let's see where the Old Testament showed us this. Go to Isaiah 55. Look at verses 6 through 11. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he, may, he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, 
So shall my word that be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So here God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, there's going to be a point where you won't be able to find him. Call on him while he's near. Don't just assume you're saved. Don't just assume you're included. Seek the Lord. And how I do things isn't how you do things. And how you think I think is not how I think. Anybody experience that, by the way? Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears for he's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widow and, his, and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So here we see that God says to them, hey, you know this, this Messiah you've been looking for? I'm going to send a messenger to prepare you when, before he comes. Oh, and when he comes, he's going to purify you. And he's going to judge all the wicked. Don't assume you're in, Jew. Don't assume when the king comes, we're all going to be granted this righteousness and everything's good. No, no. When he comes, he's going to judge. Isn't that the message that John the Baptist preached? The one who prepared the way? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he comes, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he's going to thresh. And by the way, when you threshed, you kept the good and you threw away the bad. Judgment is coming. Don't assume you're in because you're a Jew. Go to chapter 3 again of Malachi. Look at verses 16 through 18. Again, we read this earlier, but look at it again in this context. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard him, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I'll spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Again, giving them an idea, some information, implying you're not automatically in because you're a Jew. Go to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. It says, the Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He'll repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. In his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. 
So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Do you see it? There's a judgment coming for the Jews. And if you go back to your heritage, Jacob, you, you wrestled with God. You know, you fought with your brother in the womb and then you fought with God and you sought his favor and got to see him. And by the help of your God, return and wait for him. It's been here all along. Go to Hosea chapter 6, back up to chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Do you see it? God's been telling them all along, don't assume you're in. I respond to those who humble themselves and seek me. And if you don't, a judgment is coming. I want repentance. I want you to know me. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. By the way, the last couple of mornings, has anybody noticed, especially those who live here on the beach side, you wake up and it's cloudy and raining. But just in a few minutes, almost an hour at the most, it's clear blue sky. What happened to that cloud? <laughs> it left. The morning dew, what happens to it in a little bit? Disappears. He says, your love for me is like a morning cloud or the early dew. Looks like it's there, but then it leaves. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Folks, the Jews heard it. It's been there all along. They weren't guaranteed salvation because they were circumcised. All along, it's been a matter of the heart. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Saying, Jims, these are books I've never even read. Good, start reading them. These are good stuff. Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his what? Faith. God's been telling them all along. David knew it. Abraham knew it. Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith, that God would do what he said he would do. And that was before he was even circumcised. And he did that as a promise to everybody who would have faith. 
What advantage did the Jew had? Much in every way. We're going to deal with some more of these questions from chapter 3 next week when we come back together. There's some really cool stuff in here. You're going to see that actually Paul quotes from, from Psalm 51 where David writes that psalm right after Bathsheba. He actually quotes from there in this section. But let me just say this. The question is this. Did they hear? Did they know? Yes, they did. Were, was it revealed to them? Yes. We're going to close tonight with Romans chapter 10. Can't wait till we get to there when we study Romans 10 itself. But this, we've been having this passage read to us backwards and preached to us backwards for as long as I can remember. We're about to read the section of the scripture where it says, well, how can they hear unless someone preaches it to them? And we've had for years preachers say, well, how can those people out there ever hear unless someone goes and tells them? You ever heard that? You're going to find that Paul was actually saying the exact opposite. In the context, he's saying they did hear. When he says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? What he was saying is this. God would never expect them to believe something he hadn't already told them. Look at Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then can, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, they heard it, they just didn't obey it. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Paul has been laying out in our study of Romans that the whole world is accountable and guilty and sin before God, Jew and Gentile. And all along, salvation has been for both Jew and Gentile. The Jews have had more privilege, but with that's come a lot more responsibility. But at the same time, if you look all through the Old Testament, you'll see Jesus himself went into the synagogue and he told them back when the, there were widows in the time of Elijah, God sent only Elijah to a Gentile widow. Boy, they got mad when they heard that. And there were lepers in the time of Naaman and God healed Naaman who wasn't a Jew. And boy, the Jews got mad at that because they had thought, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's special. I'm guaranteed. Stick with me as we close tonight. Too many quote-unquote Christians think, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I'm okay, I tithe. If you are resting in what you have done, ask God to show you whether or not you really know Him. I love you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.